everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply of the Why. This is the season four finale, and we are ending about as high a note as you can end. Tonight, we're joined by Dean Crisp of Leaders Helping Leaders and also an FBI leader. He's one of the nation's top uh, top experts in leadership development, and he's here to share a little, some of his tips and some of his wisdom with all of us. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Dean up. Dean, how you doing? Hey, everybody, man. I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. You know, I, I know you're broadcasting live from Massachusetts up there in Stoughton area. Oh, my God, I love Stoughton. Love all the folks there in Massachusetts. I'm so glad to have all the friends there. I mean, I miss all you guys up there and gals. You know what? I'm getting ready to get – I can't wait to get back up there. Missing all y'all. Well, we miss you too. Um, you know, your name, all I had to do was mention your name in the building and people's just lit up with joy uh, with all the nuggets of great information that you gave us, all the tips for leadership and all the things that, you, that you've taught us that not just for police work, you know, to improve people's home lives, to improve people's lives beyond police work. And, um, and for, that, I, for that, I thank you. Uh, you know, that's what happens when you get old. You know, as you get old, you mention your name. He's like, yeah, I know who that old dude is. You know, that's scar tissue, right? <laughs> but I, I mean, what a what a pleasure. I, I mean, I, I really appreciate all those nice things you said about me. It means a lot to me. Uh, but, you know, it's it's all about making better. I know what it's like to truly suck and not be good at either a leader or home or wherever it is. So, I, you know, I want to try to help people get get as, get the best they can be, man. I mean, that's what life's all about, isn't it? Like getting squeezed every moment out of life, you know? If you don't do that, you know what? I I have this old saying that says, you're going to be dead a hell of a lot longer than you are alive, so you better take advantage of it, you know? (laughs) Uh, uh, So we're going to get back to that that, that sucking pot because we're going to want to hear all about that. But in the meantime, tell us what you've been up to. You know, how are you enjoying retirement and how are you staying busy these days? Well, you know, I retired from active police chief and I was the chief for like 17 years. That's a long ass time to be a chief, no doubt. And, um, you know, I, I just decided to do something else. And uh, I, I kind of like spent the last number of years as a chief trying to grow future leaders. And that kind of stuck with me. You know, it's like kind of defining what you want to do in life. And so I really kind of find a passion in doing that. So I've been out teaching on the road. My life's been three things. I've been a practitioner. Um, I've been a student of leadership, you know, and now I get a chance to be an instructor of leadership. You can't get any better than that. And, 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 you know, I don't know that I'm doing anything more than anybody else is. I'm just, I'm a guy who is the luckiest person on, on earth because I get to follow what my purpose in life is and do it every day. It just don't get any better than that. So that, that's me. I mean, that's what I've been doing. So that's about it. You know, just, oh, oh, just that's it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. I mean, you know, I mean, seriously, I'm in Houston, Texas this week, teaching for FBI leader. You know, I have, uh, I'm still teaching with them as much as possible. I started my own company uh, about three years ago, not with anything with FBI leader. I love those folks. We have a great relationship. I teach with them. They call me all the time. I call them. It's a great relationship. I just felt like I wanted to to do more. And and you know, if you talk about growth, you got to grow yourself, right? You can't just continually do the same things every day, you know? So I kind of figured the classroom, I get that, but I think there's more to the after the classroom. And so we it, it afforded me the opportunity to go around and do some things and write some curriculum and material and that kind of stuff. So, hey, you know, I, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm around the country teaching and talking to people and enjoying people and, man, just, just living life, man. That's just it, you know? Yeah, I'm just doing it. Best I can do, man. That's what, what? I'm doing. Well, that sounds amazing, but I got to ask you. So you said, you know, beyond the um, what you're doing with FBI Leader that you want to do more. I see that you're offering some really specialized training through uh, Leaders Helping Leaders. What, what what are some of the things you're offering to really hone in on those leadership skills and get people excited about leadership? Well, we've got this. Uh, the things we do is we do this master presenter course that I honestly believe is like the best course I teach. It's where uh, I'm getting a chance to do it in Berlin, I think. and uh, the last thing I want to do is make this sound like a damn commercial. I'm just trying to tell people what I'm doing is I, this, I spend an entire week one-on-one with people and we limit that to a very small group where we actually get in there and help you learn how to communicate better, learn how to present better, learn how to get your ideas across. 
immerse you in the connection with people where you literally are learning how to connect to people in a leadership role. And that, that course is, is amazing. We do that course. And after that course, we offer a 21 day challenge to everybody who takes that course where we actually spend 21 days with you in a group where we are posting every day, talking to each other, having two zoom meetings a week where we are literally showing you how to be that master leader and presenter. So that course is really good. We got an intentional leadership course where we dive into understanding your why, the purpose, that kind of stuff. I do a warrior guardian class because you know, with the current uh, environment in policing, we cannot afford to be warrior mindset. Totally. We have to have a guardian mindset. We have to have that mindset that we're servants of the people We're you know, we're not there to do anything else. And, and in that we got to be warriors and don't get us wrong. Now, when you got to be a warrior full on, but most of the time we spend doing guardians and doing stuff like that. I just wrote my second book, uh, essential leadership lessons. Um, it was a rewrite of the first book because I just learned so much stuff about leadership and I, I wanted to, to update that, you know, and, and I'm one of those people that when, when I don't know how to do something, man, I try to figure it out and then I try to write it down to make it simple so that it's simple for me because I've got one of them simple brains, you know, <laughs> I got one of them brains that's kind of like, if I understand it simply, then man, I get it. And uh, so, you know, that, that's what I've been doing. And, and, I, but the most important thing is all that stuff aside with the classrooms is the relationships that I'm making across the country with people and the, interaction that I have with people. And I really, you, you know, Dean, it's kind of like this. I get a front row seat to the best show on earth. You know, I get a front row seat to people actually making a difference in people's lives every day. Now, if they'll pay you to do that, sign up. That's all I'm going to tell you because that's, that's what it's all about. That front row seat to, to history and to, to where we're at and to, to see law enforcement, in my personal opinion, this is the most exciting time in law enforcement in the last 50 years. Oh, you got to talk more about that. Go ahead. Why? Why? Well, because the opportunities, man, as a leader, you don't get the opportunity to determine future direction. What you generally do as a leader most of the time is follow other people's direction. You don't really ever get a chance to design things yeah, some of it might work, some of it might not. But oh my God, what an exciting time in law enforcement to where you can literally start forming the landscape of the picture, man. You're painting the picture of the future. You got to be kidding me. It's the most exciting time. Is it challenging? Yes. If you don't got your seatbelt on, get the hell out. That's what I say. Because this is time for people that are tough, they're going to hang in there and come to work every day expecting to change people's lives. And it's it, to me, when are you ever going to get an opportunity to paint a picture that you get a part of? You know, when are you going to get that chance? Most of us are following other people's lead. Well, Dean, this gives me a perfect opportunity. I'm going to devil's advocate you a little bit now. So you said this is the best time to be a leader in law enforcement. So what if I were to tell you that I am leader leader XYZ. And I say, well, that sounds good on paper, but I got people looking to transfer. I got people resigning. I got people that don't want to go out and do the job anymore. What would you say to those leaders um, about, about some of these very real um, and, and valid concerns that they have going on in their agencies? I, I get it. It's not easy. I'm going to tell you something right now. And I want everybody to understand this. Leadership is simple, but it's not easy. It's very complex. But you know what I tell you? Refocus your leadership. Refocus your mindset to understand that the days where they were, they're gone. We're never going to return to those days. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. And, and your listeners out there are going to look at me because, you know, I'm old. So, I, and I, I get this. In 1978, I came on starting law enforcement, 78, 77. I was issued a damn slapjack and carried it for 10 years. Now, I heard that if you hit somebody with that, you knock them out. But I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying. That's shit I heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a different I'm time, Dean. It was a different time. <laughs> okay. 
but you actually could go out there and it was like you fought every day you you, you enjoyed the, the atmosphere of policing but hell that changed we have to adjust to that and then you come into the rodney king thing and we then we get our stuff together and we're like all right we got to fix that and then you fast forward to another instant then you fast forward and then you fast forward listen the world is changing literally before us every day as a leader you got to refocus now here's what i'd say don't focus on the money don't focus on the benefits focus on the leadership servant mindset if you're not in this to be a servant find you something else to do this is truly the time in law enforcement leadership where being a servant is tested every day in everything you do That's talk to me more about the servitude aspect well, I mean, you know, you don't get in this. I understand the pay's good. Now, you guys in Massachusetts, when I say don't work on a pay, y'all get paid more than anybody in the country. Don't go there. I mean, let's be honest. Cost of living. Oh, my God. Cost of living's crazy oh, up there. Oh, my God. You got a poor cop in the south down here where I live. Man, we're making, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year start pay. You guys are six-figuring it all day long in Massachusetts. Dean, you now, can't you buy a pile of sticks up here for less than $250,000. <laughs> fifty, dude. Where I live, you can't buy a thousand square foot house for three hundred thousand. I get it, but up there, I'm not fighting it. You guys deserve it. <laughs> okay, I'm not fighting that y'all get paid. Listen, we should all get paid like you get paid. But the point is, ask yourself this as a leader. So, is my are my people more focused on what we're trying to do as leaders and try to provide service to the community, or are we most more focused on our pension and our second jobs? You know, you, you just got to keep it real, right? This is tough conversation. Right? This is what we so do, difficult conversations. This is gut check time for all of us in leadership. This is when we put our leadership into focus, you know? And guys are going to leave, wish them well, move them forward. But if it wasn't this time, when was it going to be? So for me, we're seeing a lot of people cut and run, but you can't win a baseball game on who got traded. And who quit? You got to win with the players you got. And so we got to refocus what we do, man. We got to go back to the core of what police service is. And that's connecting communities, allowing people to live in civil order, allowing people to go to the grocery store free of being mugged or raped or robbed, and quality of life. That's what we got to refocus on, you know? And listen, that's the difference between experience and wisdom. You know, there, there's a lot of difference there. People who are experienced, got good ideas and stuff, but people who are, have wisdom, they're the ones who see this is a great time to be in law enforcement. You don't ever get this opportunity again. This is like the playing field is changing right before us. What do you want, dude? You're a leader. This is part of the game, you know? I mean, seriously. All right, so that sounds all well and good. So I'm going to go back to Chief XYZ again. So I am Chief XYZ, Lieutenant ABC, whatever. But Dean, that sounds well and good. But how do I connect with these young kids? They don't speak our language. They don't have our work ethic. What would you say to me? Like, how am I supposed to get these kids to want to work and do the job the way we did? Now, okay. All right. So let's, let's be honest. It's not their work ethic. It's the leader's lack of ability to inspire to connect to them with what works. Okay, so let's talk about working. They will work. They're going to be a hardworking group, but they got to connect to what they do. They're not going to just come do it because you tell them to. There's two ways you lead. You either inspiring people, you inspire people, or you manipulate them. When you manipulate them, it becomes forced leadership, which creates a disconnection on a major level to anyone. So I'm not telling you that the workplace is inspired every day. But I'm telling you right now, as a leader, you ought to be providing the number one thing is direction. The number two thing is inspiration on joining together, creating a synergy of understanding what our job is. I'd be willing to bet. I'd be willing to bet that 90% of the cops you would interview or talk to don't know why they're doing this job. They can't tell you. Now, they can come up with something, but in terms of really what their why is, they don't connect to that. This generation, you know what the biggest problem is, Dean? They're holding us accountable for our leadership. And we don't like that sometimes because they're forcing us to be better leaders. And, and we're like, do what I say to do. 
you know, instead of, all right, I get it. You don't understand. Let's figure out, you know, and, and but we, instead we go back to that old paternalistic thing. There's two mistakes we make in leadership. Number one is you remind people they get paid to do this. That's the biggest mistake you can ever make. Why? Because, because you put a dollar t- uh, amount to the service that you deliver. Where does that fall short? How many police funerals you've been to? A few. Too damn many, right? Yeah. If you ever stood at the casket and say, he gets paid to do that shit? Never. There you go. So why would you remind him when he's alive he gets paid to do it? It's about service. When you remind people they get paid to do it, you devalue the service people provide. That's all Ooh. I'm saying. I love that. I love that. I Dean, I gotta hit I gotta hit the chat because the chat is going crazy right now and I'm having a tough time keeping up. All right. So Jen wants to know has the game changed? Uh, you talking about the game of life or the, the game of leadership? The, the game and, of the game of policing, I'd imagine. Okay, listen. It ain't the game that's changed. The game's the same. The rules have changed. There's a whole lot of difference. Football is still football. Baseball is still baseball. Policing is still policing, but the rules have changed. When you change the rules and men's I'm going to tell you where we're at right now, all right? Now, I told you, I'm not that smart a guy, but I do understand a couple of things. There's this thing called liminal space. Do you know what that is, Dean? No, please enlighten me. Liminal space is this space of not really, not anymore, but not now. It's this transitional space. When you're in the middle of a transitional space, the one thing you lack is direction. So what's confusing a lot of us in leadership is we don't really know the direction of where we're going. And so when your leaders don't provide direction, you get lost, right? So let me give you an example of liminal space. You ever walked into a school when it was empty and it feels weird? Like you're like, damn, we're all the kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's something missing. That's where we are in law enforcement. It's like we're in this transitional space that you really don't know what's next. And what you say yesterday, you can't say tomorrow. And what you say today, you can't say tomorrow. And, and it's like when you're looking for that transitional space, you fill it with negative stuff. You know what I mean? That's our nature is to fill the liminal space with negative stuff. We all say, well, you know, it's, oh, my God, this sucks. This is the worst times ever. Oh, my God, I can't do this. Why? Because you you like direction. Does that make any sense? I, 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 you're bringing me back to the classroom, the first class I ever had with you. I am literally sitting on the edge of my seat right now with this. This is That, that is great stuff. Well, it's um, true, though, right? I it's, mean, it's definitely it's, true. It's, it's, it's this liminal space that we're trying to fill as leaders. And then here's what you have. God for, forgive me for all my friends up in mass because, you know, I love all you guys. But unions can be a killer for leadership. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like anything that stretches leadership, unions are like automatic put up guardrails. You know, they're like, you can only do this and this. And, and trust me, I understand this for protection. And it's for the benefit of the cop. I'm all about all of that. But when you're in the middle of a war, man, I'm going to tell you, sometimes the rules are changing on the fly. You know, and, 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 and engagement is a whole different thing. So leadership is actually a battle every day. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing you've got to understand as a leader. You can't come in and take a day off. That's what, that's what they don't like. That's what leaders don't like is they, they, they want to take a day off. You can't take a day off anymore. So, Dean, I got to jump in and just and just ask a question about that. So, what you just said was, uh, you know, let's go back to the union thing. So, suppose you do you dissolve unions, right? In order to make that work, that would require the most, the highest level of trust between the rank and file and the people that are making the decisions. Yes, you cannot dissolve unions. I'm not advocating that at all. There is no way in hell you can dissolve unions. Okay, because I was going to, I thought that's the road you were going down. The structure structure of the organization and the structure 
is way too strong for even to discuss that. So I'm not discussing that at all. Okay. Your union guys, the union leaders have to have more as equally an open mind as your leaders. Now, now I'm not trying to say don't protect people, but, but you can't have one group directionally providing direction and another group fighting at every end just for protection purposes. You got to get people together, Mm -hmm. you know, and you got to talk and you got to say, look, times are changing, man. We, we literally, the rules have changed right before us and we literally have to figure a way to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And and no, 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 no. I'd never advocate. You know, unions have served, they saved our country. Let's Mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they saved our country. I mean, but. All right, good. I just wanted to clarify. No, but unions, unions have to evolve like organizations doing leadership too. They, they can't be stagnant too. You know what I mean? I, I so do. Anyway. I do. No, no, I'm glad we, I'm glad we clarified on that because again, the, you know, no, that's uh, your misunderstanding, not mine. I never was talking about no resolution. <laughs> don't be saying that shit like that. I don't want hate mail. It, it's that funny <laughs> accent of yours. I can't hear it. You know, you need to, you need to sound more, you got too many R's and whatnot in your, in your Listen, vernacular. <laughs> I want you to understand something. I am a Southern Northerner. I have been adopted by Massachusetts as an official member of Massachusetts police. And don't you forget it. Yeah, well, you know, we, we do love you and we, and we do invite you up to <laughs> share our chowder. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> if I want to, if I'm reincarnated ever, if that ever could happen, I want to be a Massachusetts. I want to be a Massachusetts. Cop, all right. That's what I want to be. Because that's me. I'm Southern. I'm a Southern Northerner. I love all these guys up there, man. They're just tremendous. I love them. I will say there's nothing like uh, New England in the fall. So uh, so <laughs> hit chat a little bit. So we have uh, Jacob says, find your why and start with your why. Ed, Ed says, we try to put finite rules on infinite game. It always It's always changing and it never ends. Yet we don't. Oh, I'm, digging, that. I mean, I'm, digging, I'm digging Edward's comment right there. And what, all right, what let's get into that. Let's get well, into that. I, I'm, I'm sure that what he's referring to is Simon Sinek's book called Finite Versus Infinite Game. I don't know if you read that book or not, but what, what that does is it says that leadership is an infinite game, but most people play it with a finite rules. And where he goes with that is he says that, and it's really a brilliant kind of way of looking at it. It's kind of like a baseball game is an infinite, it's a finite game. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, but like leadership really doesn't have that. It continues on. I'm going to say something right here, and I want people to understand this, okay? If you want to really be a real good leader, I'm telling you, if you want to be a really good leader, this is the thought I want you to have. I want you to think about leadership beyond you because you will hand these people off to somebody else. And if you will think about leadership beyond you, you'll start playing the long game with people, not the short game. I love it. I love it. Now, really quick, you brought up long game, short game. Those are terms I love. Talk a little bit about the importance of understanding the difference and how to appropriately set goals for each level, the long game, the midterm game, and the short game. Well, i got a whole different spin on that. I'm not – I think that's the biggest mistake that leadership makes across this great country is looking at goals. And I think you should have goals. Don't get me wrong. And and you should set things, parameters where you want to go, and you should set expectations for people. But I I am – Listen, I've learned a long time ago that one thing, you can never reach anything without the effort and commitment. So instead of focusing on the goals and the results, you should focus on what it takes to get there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So most, it's like performance evaluations. You'll say to somebody, I want you to be really good, or I want you to get better, or I want you to get good at this, but you don't tell them how. And then all of a sudden a year comes up and you don't know if they met it or not. You don't even understand how. In my opinion, we should focus more on the effort and commitment to get things done instead of the results of the goal orientation. My Mm. point is set it, but now focus on the individual effort to get there because that is measurable. You know, am am I giving you my best effort? You know, am am I committed to what I'm trying to do? When you combine those two, you get results. I love it. So from there, 
So Lorenzo says, I got you, Dean. You are always welcome up here. That's, that's what I'm talking about. All right. That's, that's, Me that's, and him go to the, we'll go to the Dunkin' Donuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jacob shouts out The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, and he is co-signing what you said, Dean. It says it is another great book. Um, this is my mother. My mother's watching. Hi, Ma. I'm glad you could join us here. Hey, and, mom. I ain't ever met your mom, but I do like your son. He's a little. He's got a little rough edges on him at times, but I do like. Just, him. just one or two. Just one or two. <laughs> but, but uh, the importance of somebody like my mother joining here is, and and there's another a few other people in here that are not police officers. It's important that you understand that Dean's lessons are not. They're not just for police officers. These have a universal adapter on them. They can be used in many different under, other industries. Wouldn't you agree, Dean? Well, I mean, there's scar tissue. I tell people this all the time, man. You can one of two ways you can learn. You mm -hmm. can learn from my scars or yours. Now, yours are going to be a lot more painful for you. Mine, they're not so painful. They're free. So you know, when you learn these lessons in life, man, you just you just pile them up, right? Like I said, that's the benefit of being old. I'm like an old elephant. You know, I'm just been around a while. So well, Dean, it. you brought up the scar tissue. That's one of my favorite groups of of, of stories and one of the roads you go down. Can can you can you let people know about about some of your scars and, and, you know, maybe a scar story out there that you feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> you know, well, I, I mean, was gonna ask. you know, I've got so many scar tissues, man. I mean, like the people ask me this all the time. They say, would you do this again? Like if you ever had the opportunity to be in a leadership role or to like be a police chief again, you know, I was the chief. I, t I told you earlier, I was chief for like 17 years. That's a long time. You age in dog years. when You're a chief that long. And you like, I'm actually like a, I, I'm actually only 35, but look 147. <laughs> <laughs> That's an example of scar tissue right there. Is you know being actually 35, look 147. That's scar tissue. But you know, people ask me all the time. They said, "Would you would you do this again?" I mean, would you literally do this again? And I said, without hesitation, with all the scars, whatever that is, I would do it again in a minute. But I'd change one thing. What's that? I'd leave less bodies behind. There's, there's too many bodies I've left behind. And the reason that is, is I wasn't good when I needed to be good. Like, any bad encounter with a boss is a body left behind. Anytime you don't really do what you should do or you don't meet goals or things you want to get done or the results or effort, anytime you don't, bring people with you those are bodies you leave behind and, and i learned a long time ago man i love mountain that. climb ain't worth it unless you got a crowd with you if you got a crowd climbing the mountain with you then by gosh it's worth it but if you buy yourself when you get a top it ain't worth a damn so that that's the way i think you know and and i'd i that's one of the scars for me I, I'd, I'd be better at this i'd be better at this earlier you know, I, when I had those conversations with people, I would let people know I cared more about them. You know, I'd, I'd let people know that they really mattered to me. You know, and, and, and I want people to remember this about leadership. I don't care who you are, you're leading somebody's son or daughter. Uncle, brother, cousin, nephew, and every single one of them has a story. Your job as a leader is to add to their story, not take away from it. We got too many leaders stealing stories. So that is what I'm talking about. I hope somebody out there is taking notes because I don't have the ability to take notes because I got to be present in this conversation. If anybody out there is taking notes, make sure you send them <laughs> to me because, I mean, there there is all kinds of little nuggets of gold being dropped right now. That That's, that, that's, that's, that's a good one. Issue. That's, well, that's a good issue, man. But everybody, you think about it. You run into anybody tomorrow, they got a story. Mm -hmm. There's two things people want every day. Number one, there's two things they want out of a leader every single day. Two things. One, do you care about me? That's the number one thing they want to know. Do you care about me? You think about it, Dean. How many bosses you've ever encountered you didn't think they cared about you? You don't give them a minute. You just, yes, sir, no, sir, do what you got to do. But if you think they care about you, You'll do anything for them. That's a That's fact. One. If you think they care about you, it will motivate them 
And I wish I'd have done a better job at that, letting people know that I really cared about them, you know? But that's on me. I got to do a better job of that. The second thing is everybody's on a path to somewhere. When you get up in the morning, you're on a path to somewhere. And the thing you want to know from your leaders are how you're going to help me get there. That's the two things you want to know every day from your leaders. Do you care about me? And how are you going to get me to where I'm going? That's it. Oh, I, I love it. I'm going to hit the chat real quick. We have a lot of questions popping up. So Demetrius has a great question. He wants to know, how do you play the long game with those who don't share that idea? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. It's a great and, question. And one, of the biggest pro- one of the biggest problems with leadership, I want people to think about this for a minute, all right? Look at leadership in terms of a bell-shaped curve, you know, like that. And you got 10% on this side and 10% on that side. Well, this 10% is awful. This 10% is great, right? And then most of us fit in the middle, okay? Do you agree? I do. Okay. The problem with the 10% that's awful is, is they dissuade the 90% to change for them. Instead of us focusing on the 90% good, we spend way too much time with the 10% that are not. And those are what I call evil. You know, they're, they're what I call arsonists in an organization. Like they literally run around every day with a match starting fires, you know, and, and we spend a lot of time with those people. Now, here's the thing I would do. If I'm going to get someone to follow me, the first thing is I got to get them to believe in me. Like they've got to be able to know I care about them. They got to believe in the direction that I'm giving them. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to always agree with it. But if they know that I care about them, they'll follow you in direction. So in my opinion, everybody has a point where they'll jump off. So you got to drive people and move people forward. And where some jump off, that's, they're just going to jump off, you know, and, and, and what you got to do is try to help that other bunch. Like I said, leading with a group and getting people to believe in it force multiplies your leadership. And that's where people don't understand. They think leadership's two things, an individual effort and a singular event. None of those are true. Leadership is group effort, and it's a process, not a singular event. Awesome. Awesome answer, Demetrius. I hope you you uh you appreciate that answer. That was a that was a five thousand dollar answer you got right there. So that was <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. How about a so you heard it, you gotta hear it supply the Y for free, brother. So I hope you enjoyed it. So uh moving on from there. So Jacob, he invites you to Harvard University, the esteemed Harvard University, uh, to do some training. So I'm sure that he can uh um, Jacob, I will help you uh, collaborate and set something up with Dean. I'll connect you on, on LinkedIn, and then you can uh, and set something up over there if you're if you're interested in coming back to Boston, Dean, for that. Hey, listen, I've already been to Harvard, not of the North, but the Harvard of the South, my community college. That was the Harvard of the South. <laughs> so I would appreciate going to the Harvard of the North. Hey, can I get a free T-shirt when I come up there? Because you know how that is, Jacob. I think you can make that happen. You know, we'll. Uh, we'll <laughs> I'll talk to you about negotiation I, strategies. I that, we, you, you know, when I graduated high school, I had 261 people in my class, right? Mm-hmm. And I graduated 249. <laughs> so what does that tell you? <laughs> See, I'm, I'm testing. <laughs> Go ahead. I said it tells you that sometimes it takes a little bit more to find yourself. I was in the in the very <laughs> bottom third of my of my high school class, too. And look at no, us. I, no, 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 no. This, you know what it tells me? Mm-hmm. It was 12 dumber than me. So I'm gonna tell you, that's what it tells me. So I'm the dumbest one. So when you have that mindset, the sky's the limit. So John says successful leadership should be measured by the agency's success after you're gone. All right, that's that whole legacy piece. That's a good point. Sean says it's a great conversation with another true leader in Dean. All right, so well, we that's nice. A lot of love there. All right. Preach well, you know, I, I want to make a point about it when he says measured by the agency when you leave. Mm-hmm. Listen, that is that's kind of like that's a that's a tough one because 
you could literally get a status quo leader or a leader that's not really up to the challenge and they can move people backward really quick. And, you know, so it, it, it is true sustainable leadership through, you, you know, your past you in terms of your legacy, but you got to remember that sometimes people can really sabotage your leadership after you leave and they can do it really quickly. Yeah. And, and no I doubt. Mean, they can do it really freaking quickly. It can, it can go from a really good place to work to a shitty place to work like overnight. So all right. I'm just saying. So in all fairness, so I definitely see that point because that's, that's, that's a fact, but at the same time, and I think the spirit of that comment was about, if you were truly inspiring people and you were truly crimping people along and bringing and develop them as leaders, then that should carry over after you leave. And that, and that at the Absolutely. end of the day is the goal is to, is to, is to replace yourself with, with somebody that you've, you crimped along, right? Thousand percent, man. I, I get it. I, I just want to make sure that people understand, you no, know, it's this leg. It's this thing I call, I, I made this thing up. Now, you know, I make stuff up all the time. There's this thing I call the illusion of success with leadership. And, and a lot of times people get caught up in the illusion of success and the illusion of success as a leader is that you have to believe leadership immediately. Like once you have leadership happen that you think you see instantaneous results, right? So that's mm -hmm. the illusion of being a successful leader is seeing results that occur like that. And sometimes we get caught up in that and we don't really realize our impact until we're gone. And so the illusion of success, I would tell anybody, don't get caught up into worrying about seeing success right away as a leader. Leadership is truly a grind. You know, I mean, like leadership's a grind. And when you do leadership as a grind, then you've got to be in for the long game. You follow me? So mm -hmm. the illusion of success is looking at the short game like, like I can have a difficult conversation with you and I expect you to be permanently cured. That is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. So don't get caught up in, oh, I had one conversation and they're fixed. That ain't going to happen. Play the long game. So don't get caught up in the illusion of I have to see instantaneous results. I, 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 and I, I hear did, you. I, and I had, I had a guy that I literally worked with that I thought literally did not like me. I mean, that was never in the game. They were in my out group. They were always fighting everything I was doing. And I thought, lost calls. I swear I saw them like five years later. And, and they came up to me and said, Chief, I know you and I didn't get along that great, but I'll tell you one thing. You showed me a lot more than you ever thought you did. And I learned so many life lessons from you and I'm way better for us to work for you than I was for not working with you. I was like, oh my God. Because I'd given up on that person. That was my illusion of success. Don't get caught up in that. All right. Grind it out. Move it forward. The great answer. So we got another question here. This is um, a little long, but I'll try to sift through. So how do you... Excuse me one second. So how do you uh, reply to folks that may have poor work ethic and others that do put in the time and do the job? The, the good employees that look and see the employees that get the bare minimum get the special ass assignments or leadership role. I knew this was going to come up. So when you have somebody who might not be able to cut it on the street, but you don't really have the ability maybe to pot ways with them, now you kind of grease them into a specialized position that might be a little bit easier than, uh, than say, a patrol position. So how do you handle those positions, th those type situations? And what do you tell leaders that do that and subscribe to that? Well, I mean, that anytime you're moving chess pieces around, um, you, you're going to have to make difficult decisions sometimes. And sometimes you move people for the benefit of the organization because it really, you don't, you can't be exposed in your critical areas. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And as a leader, sometimes, it's like, you remember the kid, you, you play baseball, right, Dean? Uh, for a little while. I'm more of a contact sports guy, Dean. Sorry. Oh, I see. You're a football guy. Okay, I got Basketball, you. Basketball, football, yeah. Yeah, and I've seen your Facebook posts, and I love those about you and your 
I saw you in that that high school football uniform. Oh my God, dude, you were studly. I mean, like you were looking good, man. So, About eighty pounds ago, Dean. <laughs> well, I hear you, man. No kidding, right? So it's kind of like to the people who are doing the job and the people who are working. The one thing leaders have to realize is you're never going when you don't handle people that don't belong in positions and you don't handle conflict and you don't handle things that need to be done. It takes away from your leadership. I mean, it definitely takes away from their enthusiasm and your leadership. It's kind of like this fair and equity thing. Like, why do I do this if I'm only going to get this and somebody who has less effort gets this? Why should I, you know, why should I do that? That is a really hard question. So what I would say is that leaders are going to make decisions sometimes where they're going to minimize their risk. And it's like, we do that all the time coaching too. Like we got a kid, we don't want to cut them and we don't want to get rid of them, but we have to reward them sometimes by giving them something that doesn't seem like they've earned for the benefit of the whole team. And that really sucks at times. It's like putting a kid that should be a right fielder because they can't play and you move them to a good position somewhere else, you know, and everybody gets mad because you know, they're not that good, but sometimes you have to take as a leader, you have to do that because like where you guys come from, the unions are going to protect that person and they're not going to, they're not going to let you, you know what I mean? It's just, you got to do, you got to do what you got to do. You understand what I'm saying? Now, the problem is, is expecting people to like it. Because there's no way to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. <laughs> it's a fact. I'm going to come back on you, though. I got to come back on you. So it's what's best for the – so I hear you. So from the global view, looking down at the organization, you feel it's what's best for the organization, right? Is that what you're saying? No, I, I don't know you the situation. Move- I'm just saying sometimes you got to do it. Right. I, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the person that's making that decision, they feel like they have to do it because they feel it's best for the organization. But what yes. people that are on the lower end, like I've been most of my time in this law in this law enforcement game, I've been a patrolman. And I can tell you right now, it often has the opposite effect. It sends a horrible message to you to you to your 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 go-to people because now oh. they're stuck, especially in smaller agencies, when there's less opportunity for growth. If they see someone get greased into a position that maybe they didn't earn, that sends a horrible message to the people like, I come to work every day, I do the job, you have tough assignments, I jump up and take them, I do the extra, and this person just jumped ahead of me. So sometimes, I'm just telling you, there's a yin to that yang that needs to be considered for people that that want to uh, do that. And the only answer I have to that is that's an age-old problem everybody deals with, and there's no magic answer to it. Because people are going to see that and they're going to be nastily impacted by it. But I will tell you how to mitigate it. And I'm not telling you how to fix it because I don't think there is a fix for that. I'm going to be pissed. I mean, I'm going to, you're going to keep it real. I'm going to be mad as hell. But I will tell you this, that if leaders are authentic in their evaluation and explanation of that, then I can live with it. When they bullshit me, I can't take it. So all I tell you is the more leaders are authentic and being truthful about what that is and about what's going on, then the more people accept it. But the more you try to bullshit them through, it's in the best interest. Through. Hey, sometimes I got to make tough decisions. Sometimes I'm going to move people. It's not going to be what you're going to like. But honestly, that's where we're at at this point. You, it's just, it's hard as nails. There's no doubt about it. And remember, I hate to say this, but it's so true. When we sign up for these jobs, we don't raise our hand and say we're going to like everything all the time. We just wanted to be treated fair and honestly. And I'll tell you this much. If I take a leader being honest with me and authentic, I can take it. I can put my big boy pants on. But if I take one bullshitting me and here's, here's what has killed you. Like in the promotional process, and this is what makes this drives people nuts. It drives me nuts. It's like they will have this specialty assignment they'll create for this person. And then that'll be the only person in the universe that has those qualifications. (laughs) And then they will make me act like I'm an idiot. They will be like, 
Well, don't you understand? They'll make the qualifications like being a damn dingleberry expert or some shit like that. <laughs> and you'll be like, dude, just put the person in a position. Just be honest with me. I can take that bullshit. Don't make this something it isn't. So in my opinion, the more straightforward and honest you are with people and the more you tell them straightforward, the better chance you got of making that a better situation. But it ain't ever going to be good. And here we've come full circle. We're back to that proper communication piece that we started with. If you have that trust built up front and you've been communicating all along with the good and the bad, it makes this medicine a little bit more palatable. But when you don't have that communication piece, that's when you get these permanently fractured relationships. Yes? Yeah. And, you know, communication is several ways. It's, it's not just talking. I mean, there's communication in body language, there's communication in the culture of the organization, mm -hmm. there's communication in the interaction, the way you do people treat the public. I mean, there's a lot of communication there and, and people know when you're bullshitting them. I mean, you, you can, as a leader, I found this to be true. Just, just be as honest as you can and be as authentic and you got a better chance of succeeding. And it goes back to that communication thing. And here's what the problem is. You don't ever hear anything from the leaders. And when you don't hear anything, cops are notorious for making things up. And when they make them up, 99, 99% of them is negative and never even hits the mark. And now you've got another issue you're dealing with. You've got an issue you're dealing with where people are making stuff up, rumors start flying, morale starts taking a hit. I mean, there's just all kinds of things in there, man. I mean, it's just... It's just best to be up front to begin with and then just let it play out. You know, right. Look, I, well, I mean, that's the way I would deal with it. I'm again, it not, it's not going to be perfect, but I don't know a way to bullshit people and make them feel good about it. Well, I, I mean, that was a tough, that was a tough question. Um, and, well, that's and, that, I like, tough and, question. That a, and that was a real answer. So uh, we have, uh, Lewis is a, uh, a gentleman that I just had recently get a chance to spend a little time with in his jurisdiction. Uh, he's a great guy. He wants to know what's your take on how leadership can bring the community and law enforcement together while also keeping morale up. Well, this question assumes that morale is low. And what I'm saying is morale can, if morale's low, there's a lot of things you got to do to deal with morale. I mean, morale is an individual thing, but it's also an organizational thing. So, you, you know, as a leader, you got to pay attention to morale, but let's talk about building community and law enforcement together. All right, there's a couple of things. One is, like you said, supply the why. You got to have a dialogue with the community, and it starts way before the trouble hits. So you've got to get people. And, and honest to God, it's really hard to do, but trust begins easily by people who look like you. If that makes any sense, like people who act like you and look like you and understand you creates trust. And so you got to open a dialogue with the community. And the one thing that I have said in the nineties, when I started out in 1991 as a police chief, our logo was policing is a partnership. And that's still there today in that organization. And what that mean was that the community and the police are, are not a part but they're part of each other. And, you know, if you look go back to like some of the biggest problems we've had in law enforcement is police tend to forget that sometimes. Now the public has create, has increased their expectations of what they want from police and the police are not willing to go there yet. And we really got to find that happy medium ground to where trust is. Cause you know, as well as I do, Dean, we can't just tell them everything we're doing. We just can't go out there and say, oh, we're going to let you know we're doing a drug investigation. You can't do that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we can say to you, listen, we get it. We understand where you're coming from. So as a result, we're going to address those issues. You look at it. You just got to trust us, right? And it begins with giving cops direction. Most leaders, when they turn loose their squads or they turn loose their cops, they give them no direction whatsoever. So a cop has to be reminded daily that making the community part of the organization is important. You will do more by going by a little lady's little old lady or little old man's house and sitting on a porch and waving at them to create community partnerships than you will do to have 10 meetings. 
So it starts with those individual efforts of officers. And they got to believe in that because they've got to be given direction by leadership. And you do that by getting people to understand what the why of law enforcement is. You know, the why of law enforcement is so important. It's critical. I, you know, I you look it. at city. I love it. You look at cities now. And, and you remember that liminal space I was talking about earlier? Mm -hmm. where cops are in this transition phase. You know what our response is in this transition phase? Nothing. We're not stopping cars anymore. We're not going out doing much proactive policing. We're in a total reactive mode. And we're just respond. We're on the defense when it comes to leading in police agencies. When you get on the defense and police agency of leading, it, you wait on the incident to occur and then you try to patch it. That is yep. not the way we should be doing. We should be leading on the offense. We should be talking to these young cops and saying, get out of your squad car, get out there and engage the community, find partnerships, fix problems, and get out of those cars and talk to people. You know, so, hey. Well, it's, Dean, it's let, me, big process. let me respond to that. So as part of that is I've talked in, in, in past shows about – you know, there's three there's three levels of survival that we as working police officers have to worry about. Of course, there is the physical survival, making it home at the end of your shift, right? That's been there since the beginning of this job. It's always, that's been the number one rule, make it home at the end of your shift. There's the emotional survival, which is dealing with all the built-up trauma that we have from all the awful things that we see, hear, smell, occasionally even taste in this job. And now the third piece, which is relatively new, the last, you know, five, 10 years or so, which is financial survival of this job. Because police officers are getting sued more than ever. You have people, high-level athletes, calling for the end of qualified immunity. So how would you address those concerns, particularly the last one? Because that's, I mean, I don't even know how, how big that was when you, towards the end of your career as a chief, the, the whole, you know, cops getting sued left and right. So what would you tell people that, that are worried about that emotional, um, that, excuse me, that financial survival piece? Well, you know, what I would say is that, that is one of the most difficult issues facing law enforcement right now, taking away qualified immunity. Because if you take away qualified immun immunity for cops, you change the game. And now every cop is going to have to provide their own attorney and provide their own financial resources to protect themselves from civil litigation. That is not a really good thing for policing. That's going to be terrible. Now, if you look at New York City, I understand they just passed the law, their city council did, that they would get rid of qualified immunity. And I'm understanding is that the, the uh, mayor is going to sign that into effect. So I'm not sure that. But but listen, you have to believe we got a Supreme Court that will never allow that to occur because they understand the severity of that. An officer has to be protected sometimes from good intentions because if you don't allow officers to be protected through the performance of their job this is not a perfect science when it is not a perfect science and you're going to be making decisions based on a key thing called re reasonableness then you've got to give an officer protection because we're not perfect and we're going to see things sometimes that are not there but it doesn't mean you should open up the floodgates for me to put my entire life in jeopardy, you know, in terms of financially or, uh, you know, professionally with qualified immunity. So my belief is that you can't prepare for what might occur when it comes to those kind of laws. So you have to just put as much effort as you can into preventing that from occurring. And if it does, then we are absolutely a game changer every police professional across this country is going to have to readdress the entire structure of their agency now i don't know what's next in terms of providing that protection for cops but i will tell you this that they will have to provide it some way or nobody will do this job i, I was going to say dean you know any anybody who has a skill or anything else and has the ability to go do something else is definitely going to go do that and I can tell you right oh. now, if I mean, you'd be talking about me in the past tense as well. If they get rid of qualified immunity, you, you, you just—it's a total game. Changer. I just couldn't but, do that. I, I have people that depend no. on me, and I'm 45 years old. 
I couldn't. Well, let me tell you, over with the life savings at 45 years old. You know what I mean? But one of the reasons why that I do not believe that it is going to be enacted. Now, again, I don't have a magic ball and I don't have a crystal ball. But one of the reasons I believe it's not going to be enacted is because if they get rid of qualified immunity for police, then prosecutors are next and then politicians are next. Politicians will never allow those laws to be enacted where they can be sued for making a law that they make. Does that make sense? And so when you look at that, there, there's no way. I just don't see it. I, I, don't, I just personally, that is such a game changer. That would be like saying if tomorrow, you know, 10 cities were completely blowed up and we didn't have anything, what would we do? Well, I mean, that's a really catastrophic event. And I'm telling you right now, that would be such a catastrophic blow that we, we can't afford it. It is not going to happen in my personal opinion. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I mean, it would change us so philosophically that it would literally empty the police roles like in the fastest way ever. It would just empty your police roles. So, and I, I agree with you on that, Dean. Believe it or not, we've been on for 56 minutes, less than 56. We have three minutes left and change left. Dean, thank you so much for coming on. Tell us, let's end on something positive. What what gets you out of bed in the morning in about 90 seconds? Tell us, what do you got that's exciting, that's new, that everybody can follow you on? Well, I mean, you know what? What gets me out of bed every morning is seeing these young folks out there who I know will be one day the future of what's going on out there. And so growing future leaders is literally what gets me out of bed every morning. You know, it's like our job is to grow future leaders. And, and you have to remember something about this job. You remember this, you only rent this job. You do not own it. You will give it back. The rent you pay are the leaders you create. That's your rent. Every day, the rent comes due. If you're not creating leaders, you ain't paying rent. You're living for free as a leader. You can't afford to live free as a leader. So what I would like to get everybody to understand is, listen, change people's lives, grow future leaders every day, be the leader that you would want your son or daughter to work for. If you ever become the leader you would want your son and daughter to work for, you're going to hit the mark. So, you know, with that, there, I got a lot going on. I'm teaching around the country. People can go to that LHLN, Leaders Helping Leaders Network. Contact Kelly Corbin, who's our director of business development, our information for, uh, folk. Uh, she does all of our director of operations. Man, Just like that. Here she is. There she oh, there is. You go. I see that, right? I see her on the mark there. But just contact us. We'd love to come and do a class for you. I guarantee you they're life-changing. And we want to send the message that we're all in this together. And the better we get collectively, the better we are individually. And so we can't do this without other people. And leadership is absolutely a journey. It's not a destination. And the more you understand this is life's about a journey, man. Just get on it. Ride it. And don't waste it. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you are alive. Here's what I wanted to say on my tombstone. I wanted to say he lived, he lived full, and he died completely empty. There was nothing left in him. He spent it all. <laughs> Dean, that is how you end the show. Dean, really quick, tell us your social media platforms in about. Can you do it in about 35, 40 seconds? Yeah, lhln.org. Yeah, LHLN.org, go there. You, it'll take you to all of our uh, sites. Join our network. Uh, we have a network of people that we try to tie people together in mentoring all across the great country. Uh, we try to get you with somebody that hook you up somewhere or somebody you might know or somebody you don't know. We try to do that mentoring thing. That's us. We think there's a lot more past the classroom. The classroom is only the beginning. Let us help on that journey. You help us. You help us create leaders across this country. So help join us on Leaders Helping Leaders Network. I want to thank Kelly for all the work that she's done and uh, all the stuff that she's doing. Amazing. Couldn't do it without her. And I really do appreciate all you folks out there. Thank you for joining me, man. What a, what a, what a way to end the day. I taught all day, but I teach again. I'm going to find somewhere to teach. I'm going downstairs. <laughs> I'm going to teach. I'm going to hold a class downstairs somewhere. Well, Dean, <laughs> Dean, thank you so much, everybody. What a way to end season four of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Um, we're going to take a little time off. We're going to revamp some things. We're going to get a little bit better. So when we launched season five, we're not going away forever. I saw some comments. People think we're going away forever. We can't do that. 
There's way too many more of these conversations that need to happen. There's so many more people that I need to introduce you to. And there's so much more that we need to do out there. So again, thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you for watching. If you like the show, please follow us on all your all your social media platforms down at the uh, bottom of the, of the screen there. Like us on your podcast. Check out Dean's book. Again, thank everybody so much. And if you like this episode, do yourselves and your friends a favor and share this with everybody in your social me media networks. So again, everybody, thanks for taking time away for your families to check us out. And as always, hashtag supply the why. We'll catch you in season five. Good night. All right, man. Thank you. <laughs>